Yeah, it's Wednesday, the 21st of December. How are you this Wednesday? It's five o'clock. It's me, the BBG, Richie Allen, with you till seven as usual. Nice to be with you. You may reach out to me via the website richieallen.co.uk. It says comment live there on the menu bar. I'm sure you'll have plenty to say. Now, this is interesting. Doctors for Patients UK is calling for an immediate suspension to the COVID-19 vaccination programme. One of the Doctors for Patients, a member of that group, the cardiologist Dr Dean Patterson, will be telling us why they're calling for the suspension. He'll be with me this hour. Do not miss him. This is very important. And a bit later on in the programme, my great pal Maria Heller will be live from Arizona and we'll be rounding up the biggest news stories of the week. This is your Richie Allen Show. It's live from BBG Towers in Salford. Let's commence it then. Let's get going. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it's been a beautifully clear day. Very cold, not as cold as last week, but beautiful and clear and clear skies. That is going to continue for the next couple of days. Snow forecast for Christmas. A little bit further north of here in Cumbria and in Scotland. That might be nice for a couple of days. If it only lasted a couple of days, the old snow. Do you remember ever having snow at Christmas? I don't. Not in my lifetime anyway. So Dr. Dean Patterson shortly later on, Maria Heller, Wednesday's programme. I saw the most amazing story just before I came on air. You know, the oft-mentioned future missus is uh, French, uh, but she also speaks Spanish fluently. She speaks a number of languages fluently. She's very good like that. Me, nada, niente. English and a little bit of Irish is as uh, as far as I can go. But an amazing story was um, coming out of France and she got this on Spanish television this afternoon. It's uh, about a man who walked into a hospital with a bomb stuck up his back passage. This is a true story. I couldn't believe this. An 88-year-old man caused an evacuation in France when he arrived at a hospital with a World War I artillery artillery shell stuck in his rectum. How could it have possibly gotten up there? Nobody wants to ask that question. Um, There was a bomb scare. Doctors thought the shell would explode when they dislodged it. An eight-inch bomb. Amazing. We were watching Spanish TV. Spain, of course, is connected to France. It shares a border and their coverage of it, well, amazing, really. He had a bomb in his bum. The doctors thought it would explode. They closed off the streets. They asked the man, how did it get there? The man refused to answer. I think it's probably homophobia to ask. Sir, how did the eight-inch World War I artillery shell come to be lodged in your rectum? You homophobic bastard, Jim. Yeah. Speaking of vaccine injuries and the calls by many doctors, many cardiologists to suspend 
the jabs. Do you remember Jeremy Vine's Channel 5 television programme earlier this year, in the very early spring? He had the journalist Lowry Turner on, and they were criticising the unjabbed, you and me, and this is what they said at the time. It's kind of prescient now. Do you like that? Prescient. <laughs> Guy's still laughing there on Spanish telly. Lowry Turner and Jeremy Vine. And I grant them selfish because they, all they're saying is we want more time to see whether the jab's safe. So the rest oh, of Oh, yeah, let's start that again. We're selfish. Why Why are we selfish? And I grant them selfish because they, all they're saying is we want more time to see whether the jab's safe. So the rest of us, all of us, are the guinea pigs while they decide in some future moment, oh, well, it's, since you've all had it, now I'll have it. Well, so yeah, they're looking really at selfish. us to see if we keel over. Yes, exactly. And then they'll say, oh, well, we'll yes. have it. Jeremy's all but, right. Yeah. Yeah, but now we won't have it. Yeah. But I think we have to staff our hospitals. We have to staff our care homes. We, and I so I think we have to say a year's uh, gap. But what about, what about the Yasmin's compromise? Yeah, they wanted to make the jobs compulsory in care homes and in, 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 in workplaces and whatnot. Wonderful that, isn't it, when you think back, you know? Wonderful. Uh, they, I think they're very selfish. They're, they're, they're using us as guinea pigs. Exactly. And we were right to. In hindsight, Larry Turner, you... You stupid, ignorant, son of a bitch, dumb bastard! Jesus Christ, I've met some dumb bastards in my time, but you outdo them all. That's what Gene Wilder had to say when we dialed up the cemetery and got him out of his of his grave. Right, let's talk about something not so serious, but uh, because we'll be talking about serious things today, let's talk a little bit about identity politics. You know that the Scottish government is likely to pass a bill today to make it easier for people to change their gender and to change their documentation, right? The Scottish government proposes that applications, right, to change gender and to change biological sex even on your official paperwork should be handled by the Registrar General for Scotland rather than the UK panel. No diagnosis or medical reports would be required. They will be taking medicine completely out of the process and the period in which applicants need to have lived in their acquired gender would be cut to three months. So this is controversial, and even more controversially is that they've lowered the age that someone can apply from 18 down to 16. And this isn't good. The BBC had a Stonewall guy on today. Stonewall is an LGBTQRSTUVWXY++++ group. It's a group that looks out for the rights of gays and lesbians and trans people and non-binaries and agenders and all the rest of it. And this is good. Colin McFarlane is the Stonewall dude. He tells the BBC presenter the debate is toxic and the opponents of the bill are creating a moral panic. This is the BBC woman coming back at him. It's interesting. As you say, it's, it's a very um, difficult discussion, but to d describe the, your opponents as, as toxic and whipping up a moral panic is, is rather unfair, surely, when they're being very clear that they want to have a definition of what a woman is and they want to be able to express their concern about safeguarding matters. It, where do you draw the line? How do you have single sex spaces based on biology if people are allowed to self-declare what their gender is, which of course is different from sex? Yeah. So what this process does is demedicalize uh, the system of which you can change your legal gender. And what that does is when you apply for a gender recognition certificate, that changes your legal sex in law and aligns um, your, your, your legal sex with uh, other documents no, that you might already have. Sorry, so example, sorry, 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 Mr. McFarlane, the sex and gender are different things. 
you're allowed to you're allowed to self-declare yeah. what your gender is, but it doesn't change your underlying biology, which is what sex is based on. Well, uh, well, what we're talking about is the system to demedicalize the process around legal gender recognition. So That's a gender, gender recognition though, it's certificate not sex. changes your legal sex on your birth. Your gender recognition certificate changes your legal sex on your birth certificate and allows that legal sex and that birth certificate to be aligned with your other documents. And that's what this process is about. It's about streamlining, a streamlining and demedicalizing a process to allow trans people to allow themselves to be able to have that process in a fairer, uh, more dignified system. Mm, not answering the question, but she had a very good next question for him, a follow-up question which is very good. Have a listen. How often should people be allowed to change their gender? Fantastic. I like that. Ask it again. How often should people be allowed to change their gender? Twice a week. Four times a year. Every six months. Um, on St. Swithin's Day, only so long as it rains. This is a good question, right? They're making it very easy for people to change their, their gender. And if you, if, you've only need, if you only need to have lived in your new gender for a three-month period, well, presumably you can change it four times a year then. Does he answer this? The Stonewall guy. Well, I don't think we need to go to arbitrary ideas about how often people can change their gender. Oh, we do, though, because when we start to talk about that, we realise how farcical the entire thing is, so we should really talk about it. No, but if it's, if that's it's, not if it's what's about, being no, discussed in this the, bill. Well, well, it's the question I'm asking, because it's about, it's about self... It's about how you regard yourself, isn't it? It's about your own identity. How often should we be allowed to change that? What this process is about is about streamlining a really intrusive and deep. He repeats what he said the first time around. It's very intrusive. It's streamlining it. It's um, believing the trans people. It's giving them dignity. And he doesn't answer. How often should they be allowed to do it? He wasn't going there. The Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, was on Nick Ferrari's LBC radio programme this morning. Nick Ferrari loves asking this question. Can a woman have a penis? Do we need three toilets near each school? He, he does get around to that in a minute. Um, about this people, 16-year-olds changing gender, at not so much at the drop of a hat, but every three months, if they feel like it with no medical intervention, the subject of toilets came up. Yes, I must learn to read my own notes. So he's with the education secretary. He asks her later on about the women and the penis. But before that, he asks her about how many toilets do we need to have in the schools? Do we need three toilets near each school? Uh, well, I mean, probably if you've got a lot of kids, you need three toilets. No, 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 I'm so sorry. I misphrased that. Um, boys, girls and a and other, or trans toilets, do we need those? Well, like trans toilets. That's a toilet that identified as a male toilet. But well, again, you know, some schools do have that. Some schools... But do we need that? What's your, your Secretary of State for um, Education? I, I, you know what? I am, and the, the thing I have strong views on is making sure that everyone gets to a really great school, a good outstanding yes, but, school. But if they need to relieve themselves during the course and of... And that the, they get to go to a toilet, <laughs> yeah. So and should then there the, be... The configuration of the, the configuration of the toilet is not something that I have well, a, a strong view on. Well, perhaps I'll put to you a question on, I once put to Sakir. the schools will do what the right thing is that they think for their kids. Well, are. let me put to you a question I once put to Sakir Starmer. Can a woman have a penis? Uh, no, a woman. I'm a woman, right? I, last time I looked, Nick, uh, right. I didn't have R one now. Right, OK. So why can't we have that clarity of thought as regards the provision of toilet facilities or children taking part in transgender sports teams? 
Well, I mean, there are, obviously there's been a lot of discussion around sports and the sporting bodies have also been involved in that. We will, we are getting to more clarity. The, the guidance is meant to try and have that conversation and get to more clarity. Um, it isn't, but it isn't a binary thing, Nick. We've got to also be quite sensitive to people who are going through this transition. Who are, um, and you know, they are very marginalised and are very... No, they're not marginalised. That was Gillian Keegan there. Nick Ferrari is wrong anyway. Shouldn't we have three toilets, male, female, and A, N, other? No, but there are 99 genders now. Nobody's going to want to apply for the job of janitor in schools in the future, are they? You should have 99 toilets in your... In your you should have no room for classrooms. You've got agender, bigender, cisgender, gender expression. How is that described? That's a gender. Gender expression is a gender. And it's described as the external display of one's gender through a combination of how they dress, how they act, and other factors. This is generally within the context of what society expectations of gender are. Gender fluid, gender queer, gender variant, MX, non-binary, passing. When someone who is gender variant is regarded to be or passes as a cisgender man or cisgender, they are passing. Are you male or female? I'm passing. You bigoted bastard. I'm passing. Two-spirit is an umbrella term traditionally used by Native American people to recognise individuals who possess qualities of both genders. 99 toilets in the school. Yes, imagine cleaning them. It's uh, 13 minutes past five, by the way. Far more serious things coming up on the programme soon. Formula One is in the news today. Motor racing Formula One. Think uh, Lewis Hamilton. Think Max Verstappen, the cheating Dutch backstart. Think of Max and Lewis. If there are any Netherlands-based listeners listening in, I apologise for that. Grotesque bit of xenophobia there. Anywho, news from F1, you won't believe it. Here's Rick Edwards from BBC Radio 5 Live. Formula One drivers will now need written consent to make a political, religious and personal statement or comment. What? (laughs) They'll need what? Formula One drivers will now need written consent to make a political, religious and personal statement or comment. This is due to a specific rule change by the World Motorsports Governing Body, the What kind of fuckery is Yes, if you're a Formula One driver and you like to make a protest against something, not that you should, you should concentrate on feckin' driving, doing your job. Your political opinions are no use to anybody. Just drive, man, or woman, or cisgender, or agender. Just drive the fucking car as fast as you can. But, um, yeah, they'll have to apply for permission to the sports governing body. Dear, I don't know who's in charge of Formula One now. It used to be Bernie Eccleston, dear Bernie. I'd like to uh, go to bat for the gays and the lesbians next time we're racing in Bahrain. Please allow me. Thank you, Lewis Hamilton. That's how it's going to be. This is not good. So they brought a guy onto the BBC to talk about that. He's Richard Morris. And Richard Morris is a racing driver who drives a car somewhere. I don't know where he drives his car, but he's a racing driver. And he's also an advocate for LGBTQ plus inclusion. In motor racing. Yeah, you, you champion LGBTQ plus inclusion in, in motorsport. You're, you're, How do you do that, by the way? You're an ambassador for racing pride. Um, racing pride. How do you think this might affect that? Or is it too early to know? Yeah, I think it is quite early to know. As you say, I'm ambassador for racing pride, which has uh, been able to do a lot in the sport in the last few years. So we launched in June 2019 at a point which no one had been talking about LGBTQ plus inclusion in the sport. There had been- because there was no need for anybody to be talking about LGBTQ plus inclusion in the sport. 
Why would you need LGBTQ plus inclusion in the sport of motor racing? Why? How? Do you mean to tell me that gay people didn't go to watch motor racing? Because they didn't feel safe. Do you mean to tell me that you've never had a gay or a lesbian driver in motorsports ever? Come on. I thought there'd been no campaign around it, no teams or drivers had been talking about it at all. Why should teams and drivers who drive cars be talking about gays, lesbians, trans and binaries and non-binaries? Why? Why exactly? Does, does he tell us? And we've seen a big shift in the last few years with people such as Sir Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel and a number of teams like Aston Martin and Alpine, which are partnered with Racing Pride, actually doing some really meaningful things both at the track and behind the scenes. Um, no, they've just painted rainbows on their racing helmets. Tokenism, no more. They haven't done anything meaningful. Um, and obviously, I hope that that will be able to continue. Racing Pride certainly has big plans for next year. We'll be working with those partners and more teams to do things both with them internally and uh, with broader fan engagement. And of course, we just hope that uh, this uh, new statement from the FIA doesn't uh, affect that in any mm. way. Do, do you feel generally that the sport of Formula One is becoming more inclusive? Jesus. How? Th this is a BBC journalist, allegedly, in inverted commas. How could you ask that question? How could you not ask the question you're dying to ask? What does anybody's sexuality have to do with anything? Why would you be talking about it? Why would you expect motor racing drivers, footballers, netballers, lacrosse players, why w should they be talking about their sexuality or anybody else's? Why? But no, no. Are we doing enough? Are we for the, for the gays? I certainly think that steps are being taken in the right direction. Uh, obviously, not everything changes overnight and not everyone necessarily agrees. But uh, I do think that it's been absolutely enormous to have some of the sport's biggest stars and some of its prominent teams say that they care about these issues. But they don't really. They are asked to speak on issues that they probably would prefer not to speak on. I've said this on this programme before. My response to people when they ask me, what do I think about anything? And I never get asked about my opinions on, on somebody's sexuality because I don't care what, what somebody's sexuality is. I never have done in my life. I've worked with gay men and lesbian women. Didn't bother me. I didn't know they were gay or lesbian until they told me. And when they did, I didn't give an arse. It's as simple as that. So when you get tokenism from Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, it's because somebody is putting pressure on them to say something. And it makes them feel pretty awkward because of the climate we live in now, the cancel culture world we live in. So they're inclined to do something, even though they probably prefer not to. But that's not an option anymore. Telling somebody to mind your own business. What do you think about LGBTQ plus diversity and inclusion? You see, the right answer is none of your business what I think. None of your bloody business. And I think that's because sports ultimately is about that human connection that people feel to the athletes and teams that mm. they support. They want to hear athletes and teams talk about the issues that matter to them. No, they don't. They want to watch sports. They want to watch men and women run down a track and win races. They want to watch football, tennis. They don't want to hear from these people what their opinions are on geopolitical events. They do not. There's no evidence of it. Because the reason we watch sports is to watch sport, to be entertained, to open a beer, to open a bag of pretzels, and to forget the lunacy of the world we inhabit. 
That's what the World Cup was about for many people. That's what the Premier League weekends are about for many people. Oh, thank God. Things are shit, but I'm going to watch a game of football today. Don't care what their opinions are. Because we're fascinated by that human connection. No, we're not. By the fact that these are real people that we're watching and supporting, and we want to know what they believe. No, we. I see this is the dangerous thing. We want to know what they believe so that we can cancel them if they don't believe the things they should believe. I said this before. The, the, uh, the, the woman I share my life with works for a mega corporation. Last year, they asked her, would she sit down in a forum and listen to some of her gay and lesbian colleagues describe what their lives are like? My missus is amazing. She said, off. No, thank you. Go away. They said, why? Go away. Why should I sit and listen to people I work with whose sexuality is of no relevance to me whatsoever? Why should I sit there as they talk to me about what life is like as a gay man? Not interested, she said. Go away, don't ask me again. But as time goes on, you won't be able to do that, though, you know? But also, those messages, those values that people we look up to put out, we start to reflect in our day-to-day lives, and they can start to influence people in broader society to have those more positive attitudes towards diverse people Go as away. Well. Go away, you lunatic. Very important human right is the right to say nothing. You know, the right to preserve your thoughts the right to to hold your own opinions, your own ideas for yourself and the right to say it to somebody politely or otherwise, nothing to do with you what I think. If you want to make a judgment on me, judge me on how I act. But don't ask me about my thinking because you are basically checking to see if I'm thinking along the lines you're thinking or if I've got the right thinking. Is he thinking right? Has he got the right thoughts on these issues? Well, you won't be finding out because my thoughts are none of your business. But that, you know, I was so proud of my missus when she said that. And a number of her colleagues did too. They said, no, we're not going to be, you know, told to go and sit around a table and listen to people who we work with, who we, we, I didn't know the guy was gay. I, I don't care. What he is, none of my business to sit there and listen to his experiences because it, because on some level it'll be good for me. It'll make me more inclusive and more, more, more diverse. Go and take a running jump, you know. Let's have a tune. Back with a very important guest after this. Thomas Heaton in Georgia. That is at Georgia from Thomas Heaton on the Richie Allen Show. It's 24 and a half minutes past five o'clock. Wednesday's programme, December 21st. Thanks for all your messages thus far. This is uh, as serious as it gets, I think. Let me tell you about Doctors for Patients UK. The group is calling for an immediate suspension to the COVID-19 vaccine programme of the COVID-19 vaccination programme. And they are not alone, as we well know. Doctors, academics, scientists, consultants around the world are calling for a halt to the programme. My guest uh, this hour is based in Guernsey. He's a consultant, general physician and cardiologist. He's held that position for the past 16 years and he prides himself on providing a a unique consultant-only based service where continuity and personalised care is the priority. It's a pleasure to welcome to the programme Dr. Dean Patterson. Dean, you're very kind to agree to come on. Welcome. Uh, thanks very much, Richie. Thanks for the kind words. Hugely um, important, the audio Dean. All right? The audio is beautiful. You've got a lovely microphone there. 
Can you put into context for me how serious this situation is? We've had health, public health emergencies. We've had public health, uh, I should say, issues in the past. We've had issues with, I think back, it was just a little bit before my my time, thalidomide obviously is, is a major one. We had the narcolepsy with pandemics about 10 or 11 years ago. Put into context, if you can, Dean, how serious this situation is with the current COVID-19 mRNA jabs. How, how much trouble are we in with these things? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question because, um, you know, you're, 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 I require to be a, an actuary to work it out because the numbers are so sort of impactful and, you know, different levels of vaccination across the world. But certainly, as far as the exposure is concerned, We've never had anything this huge, and hence that I think that's why we are um, seeing this huge, um, you know, surge of, of, of adverse event reporting. Um, so I think I think while it's alarming, it's never been done before with this magnitude—the rollout of any any therapy in in this way. So it's it's quite a it's it's quite a, a big task to get your head round. But nevertheless, you know, I've, I've never ever in my life been exposed to. Um, this level of harm, you know, when I when I see it, you know, you, once you realize it's there, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to look away. And I think that's that's the key part, I think, from an ethical, you know, basis, um, you know, we, we are all standing up for, you know, patients rights individually, because if we keep going, this is really, you know, we're going down a, a stretch of road that no one's ever gone down before, you know, booster upon booster, we don't actually know what could come from this. When did you begin to notice in in your own consultancy, you, you did begin to notice myocarditis in patients. When was that? And can you compare it to the, you know, the levels of such incidents that you would have seen before the, the, the jab programme? Well, the first the first patient was actually quite unique in a sense that um, he came, he was admitted with, uh, he was a patient of mine and he was admitted with further what, what everyone described was was an, an, an unstable angina, you know, a threatened heart attack. And I, knowing him well, I, I had a had a look through, and I managed to see that he had actually had a replica of this um, event. Uh, so this was in about April 2021, and he had an identical uh, admission uh, about six months earlier when he took his flu vaccine, and he had been referred across and had a full workup, and he had been thoroughly investigated. Uh, with in, invasive angiography and hadn't shown anything. And it was just dismissed back in 20, uh, 2020 that it was nothing. But he had a carbon copy admission. And I looked at this and I thought to myself, well, actually, you know, this chap seems to be reacting to the vaccine with, with a blood clot. That was my initial thought that his, his coronary arteries were getting a, a thrombosis in them. So we, uh, and the thrombosis was, was soft, so it would disappear. Um, but it was a week later that I saw another patient of mine admitted within 24 hours with some chest pain. Um, those two signals were in patients with underlying artery disease of mine. And so it, and my initial thoughts were that it was a clotting issue that was uh, being disturbed. Um, and then one of my other patients who had been following up for 10 years uh, was uh, admitted with breathlessness about five days after the vaccine. And she was a 42-year-old woman. And after that... Um, she unfortunately, you know, she had a second jab and then she passed away. 
it was really tough. It was really tough because uh, she was a patient who had underlying medical issues. And everybody said to me, well, she died because of her underlying medical issues. And uh, But I knew this patient. I'd been looking after her for 10 years. And she was stable. And uh, I stood my ground and I said, no, no, I want a post-mortem. You know, something's not right. I just, I could just tell, you know, I, I know, I know my gut feeling. I really trust myself on that, you know. That's what comes with experience, you know. You, you know when to bet on yourself. And uh, we did the post-mortem. And the pathologist, she she apologized to me because she was pushing back so much. And we found this lady had myocarditis. And uh, interestingly, she had um, thrombotic endocarditis on top of that. Um, Post-vaccination, so, Dean. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I believe I believe this. I believe this. But, you know, I'm fighting a machine here. Everybody was saying, well, you know, she's got an underlying medical condition. And at that time, that was about... I think it was around June 2021. Uh, it was really tough because I, I, I then said to myself, no, there is a problem. I said, this is the canary in the coal mine. And I used those words to everyone around me. I said, this is not right. If this vaccine can do this, it should be sending alarm bells to everyone. So I submitted a yellow card. Everyone said, Dean, just submit a yellow card. It'll be fine. Um, Dean, can I stop you there for a moment? We've got yeah. Dr. Dean Patterson on. We've got loads of time, as you know, up till the top of the hour. That um, kind of worries me that nobody else said, yeah, good idea, Dean, let's raise a big red flag here and send this further up the chain. This is not good. That most people were, or everybody was like, fill out the form and leave it at that. Why do you think you were kind of isolated well, like that? I, 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 you know, I was meeting with our responsible officer and our clinical governance lead on this. And, you know, I was, I was obviously, you know, pushing against I was saying I was really worried um, and their perception of this you see is they they have this they, they just foot soldiers you know these they view themselves as taking advice from the JVCI which is the vaccination committee in the UK and from upon from upon high upon high so they don't have they didn't seem to accept that they were taking responsibility in any way they felt that they were just following orders and so it was you know, explain to me that, no, Dean, don't worry. If we kill a few people here and there with this vaccine, you know, it's okay if they die. That's unfortunate. But more people would have died if we hadn't used the vaccine. So that was their sort of mantra. That was their belief. You know, I, I've i never, you know, I heard um, um, someone explain to me, uh, Nick Hudson, he runs uh, Panda in, in South Africa. He explained very good analogy of this utilitarian view on healthcare, which has been, you know, my livelihood has been taken over by this public health machine that's dominating our lives. He said that, you know, it's like you're the 10th uh, patient to arrive at a doctor uh, and he, he's seen nine people before you and you come in for a checkup, you know, you're just an annual checkup. And he says, oh, you're in fantastic form. You're nothing wrong with you, but I've got some bad news for you. Uh, unfortunately, Richie, we, we're going to have to kill you and take your organs and give them to the other nine people that have come and seen you just before me. And that's kind of, what they actually are doing in a way this is sort of we've never done this in medicine and uh, it's all based on models as you know neil ferguson uh imperial college he got it so wrong from the beginning but i knew that i think so many people did well you he did something five, he said five hundred thousand were going to die, we're going and, to die 40 yeah. that, 40 that died. and those were exaggeration numbers anyway based upon you know dying with covid didn't you write a letter in 2020 and it's really important that we, we talk about this for a minute because 
you you again were you weren't alone, but there were there weren't very many of you. You wrote a letter. It's a beautiful letter, actually. I've read it. I've read it a, a few times since um, since we chatted on Twitter. You wrote about very eloquently, I thought, about the dangers of lockdowns and the the medical harms that would come about that would happen to people because of lockdown uh, itself you did that didn't you in 2020 mid 2020 i think yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean i i i you know i've been that, that lone voice in a sense because i said you know right from the beginning i said what about sweden to the uh, public health director here and she said oh sweden they're sort of you know not following the rules and we'll come back to them later but she was insinuating it was going to be a disaster She's yet to come back to me on that. But then I did go ahead and I wrote my letter because this this idea that, you know, you can do all these non-pharmaceutical measures and get away without any negative effect is insane. In fact, it's it's impossible for me to believe that anyone that proposes this has not considered the severe um, you know, outcomes that will come from this, especially in, in regards to something somewhere like the NHS, where it's you know, massively, um, you know, overburdened with, 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 with long waiting times. And, you know, they, they do a good job with a, uh, a limited supply. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's a real shocking indictment on, on public health. When you think about it, that there's been no counterbalance. I said this right from the beginning, there was no general physician, no experienced person who deals with, you know, the daily grind at a top level. There was no one there to counterbalance this public health virologist model based um utilitarian you know i don't know plan it's 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 but it's clearly we understand why is because there's a huge amount of technology being launched on the back of this it's not you know this 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 campaign is really about introducing the mrna um you know industrial revolution effectively that's what it is i mean we, we we that's the only way you can explain this they're trialing a skin cancer mRNA jab in people at the moment. I believe it's Moderna, and uh, yeah, I did read some because you you do it yourself. I'm sure, as a as a man of medicine, you go back and you look back in the past and see what little clues you can find here and there, and uh, you know, go back five, six, seven years. Stories were appearing in the BBC about how in the future healthcare will change dramatically, and it'll be preventative approach now that sounds lovely preventative sounds lovely it sounds benign yeah let's eat a bit better let's get out and have a walk but no they're not saying that they're saying we'll have mrna jabs for lots of things like we'll have them for obesity we'll have them for we'll have them for for cancers like we just said for diabetes and i was speaking to a journalist from the united states last night and he he was just aghast you know the idea that you would offer a child presumably presumably they'll offer children obesity jabs to, you know, to change their biology, their DNA, to make it less likely they'll become obese. Well, there's a lot better ways to prevent a child from becoming obese than sticking in them with these jabs. But that's it, isn't it? It's going to be MR. What, what did you call it? it? was incredible the way you put it. Industrial revolution of mRNA. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is, this is the sort of fourth or whatever industrial revolution, they, 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 along with artificial intelligence. You know, it's almost as if they want the artificial intelligence to take the upper hand whilst they dumb down the human race with the bunch of um, genetic code um, and sort of survival of the fittest. Um, they probably presume that at will pop at the other end, some sort of spacefaring, you know, superhuman, which uh, 
will leave the rest of us, you know, in our graves, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's bizarre, but that, you know, this is, this is the t- level of thinking that these people are at. They, uh, you know, it's, they're quite genocidal, I think. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate we're in this situation. But, you know, I think there are a lot of very sensitive, sensible people around. There's a lot of people who are waking up, but there's a lot of fear still. There's a lot of fear, fear, especially from healthcare professionals, because, you know, we, we get censored and banned and, you know, reported to um, the, the GMC or, you know, even if it's just locally, you'll get a lot of pressure brought to bear. Um, so it's a challenging time, but, um, you know, I, there's I nothing in it for you. I Dan. can't live my life without standing up for this. You no, know, I just couldn't. no, there's nothing in not it in for me. you. I was asked today by somebody, another journalist who works for a tabloid, who's doing his or her best to try and get some of this stuff into newsrooms. And I can't mention who it is, but, um, you know, and, and he or she made the point today that you and Dr. Ahmad and Dr. Malhotra, there's absolutely nothing in it for you. Only grief to come out and say this. Let me read out a couple oh, yeah. of comments. Yeah. Isabel says, Richie, when COVID happened, what was Dr. Patterson's view of the vaccine when it came out? Did he believe that COVID was so dangerous that it was worth taking a chance with the vaccines that were emergency approved? Did you smell a rat from day one, I think Isabel is asking, Dean? Yeah, well, I, I, I did the maths on the Princess Diamond and, you know, I've a lot of my patients go on cruises and it's sort of on the bucket list. And, you know, so a lot of people heading away on their cruises are not the fittest people in the world. And uh, that cruise ship was quarantined before we had proper testing. So people were stuck on that ship until they got ill and they only got off when they went either got, you know, over their illness or they went to a hospital. Um and, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, um, the fatality rate just didn't stack up. Um, and I, I also wanted to see the data. So when, when they said, oh, Dean, you can have your jab because you're a healthcare provider, you can take it ahead of the queue. And I was like, I thought to myself, well, where's the data? Show me the data. There's no published data. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone else has seen it. You know, the regulators have seen it, but. I've I've been in healthcare and I've seen you'll be amazed, right? When I was training, there was this cardiac drug that was launched. It was a new calcium channel, something or other. It it was one of a kind drug, supposed to be launched by Angina. And you know, back in the day, the drug rep had booked a site visit to the hospital, and they were going to come and tell us. They put up their banner with the great big glossy pictures on it and all the bump, and literally that day. The drug was pulled. Yeah, it had been authorized by the MHRA and it was just pulled because it was found that it was killing people. Um, so, you know, you've all heard of airplanes falling out of the sky because of human error, you know, space rockets forward blowing up in the sky. It's to err is, is human. And this, 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 this technology, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's an error. It's a mistake. It's a human error. Um, we could debate all day whether it was you know designed the, that way or not um but that's sort of you know irrelevant in a sense we need to recognize the error uh and uh, escape from this the, the lunacy that we're in because um we're just getting deeper and deeper let me you know, remind our trouble. listeners dean we we've got dr dean patterson on the line he's a consultant general physician and cardiologist he's been doing that for 16 years he's in guernsey and uh, he is well known and he is well revered for providing a unique consultant only based service 
where uh, continuity and personalised care is the priority. And he's come out along with a lot of other doctors. And I, I, that's why I made the point, you haven't recently come out. You've been asking questions since the get-go, to your absolute credit. But Doctors for Patients UK today is calling for an immediate suspension of the COVID-19 vaccination programme. Dr Peter McCulloch was speaking to uh, a journalist friend of mine on a podcast two nights ago. And I look, I've been in the legacy media, mainstream media myself for many, many years, and I'm suspicious of people. I, and it's the right way to be, as you are suspicious of medicines. So I, I, I have a good look at people. As far as I can tell, Dr. Peter McCulloch's track record is pretty flawless. And he speaks very well and he speaks very reasonably. What he's saying is pretty terrifying. And it's terrifying for my other half, Dean, whose mum continues to take these boosters. For friends of mine in Salford, whose parents continue to take these boosters. I'm paraphrasing Dr. McCulloch, but I think he said that if people continue to take these boosters, it, it's going to, it's not going to kill everybody, but the, but the, but the majority or very many of these people mm. are going to become very seriously ill when they meet mm. coronaviruses in the future. Do you, do you endorse what mm. Dr. McCulloch is saying there? I think there is, it, 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 the vaccination is like an accelerant in some people and it accelerates the internal vascular aging process. And in some people it presents suddenly with a massive thrombosis and others people it, um, so there's different presentations, but the more you take, the more you accelerate that slow burn. So it's a, the more the curve starts to sweep up and the more people have that accelerate of the underlying inflammatory disease in the arteries. Uh, I mean, there's also cancer to consider and other things. But, you know, I think I think we are, you know, I. it was about two weeks ago, I came to work on a Monday and I was asked to see some patients that had been admitted the night before. And I'll cut to the chase and, you know, because of time, but there were two ladies, right? And actually one of them I'd seen before, very slim, fit, fit woman, uh, in about 60 odd. And the other one was a bit older, 70 odd. And they had this identical cardiac condition where, you know, about two thirds of their heart basically shut down. You know, we call it akinesis and they developed chest pain. And I was looking at these two. I mean, initially I was, I saw one of them and I saw the other and I was trying to, I wasn't thinking, I don't go around thinking of vaccines because I've kind of, I've had enough in a sense and I'm just trying to provide patient care and I don't, I don't mention it. And it was only after I'd seen them both, I sat back and I was like, this is just not right. I mean, this, this shouldn't happen because I, one of them had had previous angiogram. We knew the arteries were fine. I knew after about 15 minutes that both these women had been admitted. And they, you, you've probably heard the mantra from the MHRA, oh, it's only men under 40 that get myocarditis. The problem is now that these, these, two, these two women were presenting differently to the ones before. It was two thirds of their heart being shut down like this. I mean, luckily, I managed to rescue them with some aggressive treatment. But the point is, statistically, in Guernsey, that is like a massive, massive red flag because we've only got 63,000 people. And I know for, for sure that there's only been, you know, well, there's been much fewer people getting the boosters. But there are some people that just keep going. They, they're on their fourth and fifth booster. And when you see this sort of thing happening, you know, that's what tripped me over. I, I decided, I said, no, I'm, you know, I just can't, I can't keep quiet anymore. This is just not possible. And then, you know, it was, it was a week before that, a small chap who'd been treated as, as a heart attack. Turns out his arteries weren't blocked. And, you know, he's, 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 
is another myocarditis case. And then just uh, last Friday, it was last Friday, uh, I saw a patient complaining of chest pain, another case of myocarditis. So what I'm saying is that, you know, I agree with Peter McCullough. It's difficult to quantify, but people need to know. They need to know that this situation is it's, it's like quicksand, you know. The more you wriggle, the deeper you sink. And, and, and you just, we need to stop. We need to pause. We need to look back. We need to hold the drug companies accountable. We need to get all the data. We need proper independent review. The FDA is completely corrupt. Uh, basically, the FDA is, you know, uh, filled with ex-drug employees, drug, uh, big pharma employees. And they they, they, they they drop swap from one to the other. They work for FDA for a bit and then they work for Pfizer. So um, currently, I think uh, his name's Gottlieb. I think he used to be an FDA commissioner. So he's now working at Pfizer. So they, they kind of know the way in and the door and, and they know the mechanism to um, to get the job done when they want authorization. So there is a massive, massive task to overhaul healthcare. Um, you know, I think, you know, we, we this will be, I think the moment that will change healthcare. This is brilliantly positive you saying that. There are lots and lots of questions coming in for uh, Dr. Dean Patterson. Uh, Carol is listening in County Waterford, which is where I'm from. She says, uh, well done, Dr. Patterson, to stand up even when you know they'll go for your jugular is outstanding. Thank you. And then she says she had to do an antigen test before her GP would see her earlier in the month. When she got in, the GP wasn't even interested in seeing the result of the antigen test. Lunacy seems to be reigning everywhere. Um, arbitrary nonsense like this um, everywhere. And it's doing, uh, it, a lot of people, it's kind of doing their, their, their brains in. There's lots and lots of messages like that. Thanks to Carol um, for that. I, I just want to play, because Dean is, Dr. Dean Patterson has made a couple of comments about FDA and the MHRA. Let's remind ourselves what Dr. June Rain said to a parliamentary select committee when she was asked about the role of the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Agency, which is supposed to regulate Big Pharma and its products. Have a listen to this. I wonder if you would mind just explaining to us, for completeness of, of the evidence that we're gathering, the importance of the role of the MHRA in allowing medical products and devices to, to come into uh, uh, use. Our role is to, in a nutshell, enable access. But the uh, evidence that we require is that the benefits outweigh any risks. And therefore, we take every care scientifically and in terms of our robust procedures to ensure that these standards are met. So she said in a nutshell the role is to enable access but then went on to say that we leave no stone unturned in making sure these things are safe but that's not true we know this now right? Yeah I don't think I don't I think we, we, we have ultimately I think the MHRA isn't qualified to monitor this sort of activity you know this this vaccine uh, roll out the whole thing requires you know a completely different level of supervision um it's 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 it, it's 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 bonkers to expect the mhra to cope and especially i think one of boris johnson's sort of uh, things that he did when he was in power was cut the funding by the mhra so the government do fund a, a few million but i think most of the, fun, the funding comes from uh, you know licensed uh, 80%. Uh, big pharma, uh, license fees yeah but um 
Yeah, I mean, they, 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 you could say on their side to defend them that they are therefore under-resourced, et cetera, et cetera. But I've, I've reported yellow cards and there's been a number of things which really perplex me. You know, so I'd, I'd submit to the software system where you put in all the data, they go all the fields. So you, 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 you fill the fields and you go from one page to the next. You can't leave fields empty. There's a certain, you know, procedure to follow. And then, you know, I reported this 20-year-old chap with classical myocarditis from the Pfizer vaccine. He literally was ill in 24 hours. You just can't argue with that. Submitted this case, and uh, they then uh, sent me an email uh, with a Word document. Word document is labeled pericarditis. This chap said myocarditis. And they basically asked me to go through and write on this Word document what I've just submitted electronically. It's kind of like ghosting or shadow banning. At this obfuscation, they're just stalling. Is intentional in my view. I mean, you just can't explain that. And that's one of the frustrations I've had. You know, and other times I'd log back into my account on the MHRA and I'd have some submissions that are meant to be listed there as PDFs and they would just be not be there. You know, so you, you couldn't find them mysteriously. And I've submitted four in the last two weeks. And when I submitted them, they weren't there. They're on my account. I couldn't see them. Now, maybe an IIT glitch. I, I hope so. Uh, but, you know, when I submit them, I always download them because, you know, I'd, I'd like to have evidence of what I've submitted because, you know, <laughs> IT systems get hacked and all that sort of thing. So I think it's, it's it, you know, we've got to understand that the MHRA isn't designed to to do what it's been asked to do. So I think, um, you know, we, we need to be frank with, with everyone to say that, you know, we don't have a proper safety net. Do you believe the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, himself believes the jobs to be safe and effective because we, we we all remember Andrew Bridgen standing up at PMQs a couple of weeks ago and reading out some pretty startling statistics about, you know, reports of vaccine injuries, which he did. And he asked at that time for Sunak to, to, to call a halt to the programme. And Sunak's first answer before he went on to say that the JCVI has made sure they're safe, his first answer was the jabs are safe and effective. Do you? This is all speculation, but do you believe that he believes that? I don't know. He's he's a finance guy, so I mean he he understands you know maths and he's he's intelligent enough to he's he's no sort of you know, fool in that respect. So, uh, but I, I'm not sure if he's got. I mean, you know, these are politicians have been asked to make sort of medical decisions. So I think he's he's referring to his, you know, informants, the the the, the people in, in in power. So he's he's going to be flying blind, you know, in, in a sense, because he's taking um, advice from the likes of the MHRA who are, are not set up to do what they've been asked to do. They've had their staffing cut. And, um, you know, so I think there's a huge lag in the, the, the actual the data getting through. And uh, so they are also obviously um, the government obviously are on the hook for the you know, liability. So there's a massive, massive bias for them to keep this under wraps and controlled because, you know, they've spent all, they spent, you know, the, the bankrupt, I mean, effectively, I think the UK, I mean, and the biggest hole financially that they could ever, you know, find themselves in. So worse in Europe, yeah. It's, it's a really tough one, you know, for, um, you know, in a way for Rishi Sunak. I mean, he's, you know, he's not really the man to answer that question, is he? No, and... I mean, despite the fact that the mainstream media is doing everything it can to avoid people like you. And again, for listeners just tuning in, I'm speaking with a qualified gentleman here. 
vastly experienced cardiologist and general physician, Guernsey, Dr. Dean Patterson. And you're not alone. Again, I've got to say this. I'm not kissing your backside. I've got to say this. You were one of the first people back in uh, the early part of 2020 to say lockdowns could do far more harms than than COVID uh, could or would. Yeah. And that's to your absolute credit. But the fact that the media, even with the media ignoring you, and it's disgusting. I mean, Dean, I've worked in national, local media at every level, producing, presenting, I've done everything. So I've got the contacts. And they are burying their heads in the sand. They're pretending it isn't happened. But even with that, do you think this is going to become so big that it's just going to get out there anyway, that it doesn't matter if the government ignored it, it doesn't matter if uh, the, the, the national media continues to censor effectively qualified men like you. Do you think it's going to get out anyway, the, these, these damages? I think I think the message is getting out. Um, you know, that we, we need uh, 30 or 40 percent of the people to be in a position where they completely and utterly uh, you know, are awake to the reality and, and, and will not participate in this anymore. Um, there are always going to be people who are so utterly fearful and constant messaging. If you watch the BBC every night and you just get fed the latest strain and the latest Wuhan and the latest China and the latest this and that, you know, it is enough to keep people subdued in continual fear. They, there are some people that will not wake up until, you know, literally everything around them is, is, is falling apart. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's just an animal instinct. I think, you know, if you, you know, nature teaches you a hell of a lot. And if you, if you look in nature, you'll see that there are many circumstances where, you know, that behavior is exhibited. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, we were, we, we, we were aiming to get 30, 40% of people to wake up. I think that'd be enough. The Irish Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, and some of his junior ministers, and I know that some MPs here in the UK today, but I can't think of one offhand, but I know they have been saying it, are asking people to start wearing masks again in crowded places. I know I have no right really to be dictating to people, you know, what's right and what's wrong because I'm not a medical person, but I, I do know what I can see. That's crazy to be asking people to wear masks when they go out and about. Um, and, and, and I know you have looked at a lot of studies, haven't you, uh, Dean, pertaining to masks. And I mean, this is a really toxic uh, debate, especially on social media. Do masks do anything? But you've not been able to find any evidence that masks are effective at spreading transmission of anything. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's different settings, you know. So if you're working in the Wuhan lab where the the virus might have originated, then you you wear you know biosecurity level, you know, three or whatever it is, four or five, whatever your lab is, you have to wear the right gear, and it tends to be pretty extreme stuff. It's you know it's the type of thing that you know, you could you know survive uh, you know in a mustard gas cloud, <laughs> anything that's going to kill you within five seconds. That's the level of protection that you need. Now. I remember in 2020 when they had this wave in in Italy, there was a hospital on the BBC and there was this terrible setup where they had all these patients in the same room, you know, basically this, 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 this single room where there were about 20 patients and the patients you know, were not in sealed systems. So they, 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 they vented, uh, exhaled gas uh, and, and air was, was coming into the room. 
And so that's that's sort of probably the worst place if you were going to be a healthcare worker to enter in there, you know, because it was literally yeah. saturated yeah. with 20 people, highly infected people with this virus. This place was like, you know, a, a, a factory for coronavirus. Um, and and in that situation, you know, you would you would need that sort of level of uh, you know, the equivalent to the Wuhan lab. Anything else? It's really just, you know, if you were running into that room for a few seconds and you put a, you know, FFP3 mask on, you wanted to protect yourself for, you know, to go and get some, save someone's life and then come out, it would provide you with, it's like sort of holding your breath equivalent kind of thing. You know, it's right. like, a, it, 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 you know, it's that level. But if you're going to go and work in there for any length of time, when you work with a mask on, you, you, you rapidly realize that, you, you know, I mean, anyone that's done any work with a, a mask to try and stop dust when you're cleaning your house or something, or if you, the, the, you start sweating, the seal's, you know, redundant very quickly. Um, not only that, then we all know that the pore size, unless you're taking a very, uh, you know, advanced mask, will not block anything uh, viral in size. So, you know, any, any, uh, there's just not enough of these really, really expensive masks to go around. We can't all walk around and it would be stupid to walk around Absolutely. outside with a very expensive mask. So there is really, if you look at the evidence in healthcare setting, one of the most recent papers was looking at comparing an N95 mask with a surgical mask, and there was no difference in the infection rate between, uh, you know, healthcare workers wearing the different type of mask. It was about 10%. Uh, you know, and, you know, so, you know, I think the, the World Health Organization has said there's no evidence. It's really part of the um, the badge of honor, the mind control. If you wear a mask, you, you, you're complying. And, and it's, you know, it's like being part of a tribe. You know, we were all sort of on the same team. You know, you could just as well, you know, wear the same T-shirt or something. It'd be the, the, the same thing. But the mask has got a very, very uh, serious and obviously vis visible and it's emotive. So people wearing masks, you know, all you see is the eyes peering over the top. Yeah. And some people are not making eye contact. They're looking at the ground. And when they do look at you, they look away. I mean, there's been some really extreme situations. I heard of a, a person's a, a colleague uh, who, whose mum, Oh, actually, it was a sister who, for the whole 2020, she was living alone. She um, would wear gloves all the time and, and, and she would leave her delivered um, groceries outside for two days before she brought it in. And then she'd rub everything over with alcohol. And that's this the, is the extreme. I mean, it, the program. This is you've driven people to. Yeah, it's, a, it's an illness. You know, this is like post-traumatic stress disorder. There are some people out there who just can't handle this type of stress, and it just pushes them into this frenzy and making them and ill probably. terrible terrible dr dean patterson we've got uh, three about three minutes left uh today thanks for your time i i do mean that doctors for patients uk.com and if you look for dr dean patterson on twitter you'll find them immediately you'll see a photograph of him there and there's a, an image with a biome biome me biome uh, hyphen me so look for dr dean patterson on twitter and follow him there um, the Doctors for Patients UK group, along with a lot of other doctors, are calling for an immediate suspension of the COVID vaccine programme here in the UK. Uh, final question. It's a genuine question. It's come in on the website. It's also come in on Twitter. Um, Six-month-old children, the JCVI, uh, the government have approved the jab for six-month-old children. A couple of parents are on. A couple of people are on. They've got sisters and brothers who've got children. They're thinking about giving the jabs. Um, are you allowed? Are you permitted to? Can you say anything to the parents of a one-year-old baby who are thinking about giving the baby 
the mRNA COVID job? Can you say anything? Are you permitted to do that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a pediatrician. I can speak as a father. I can speak as a father and I can speak as a, a clinician who's managed pregnant women who, um, you know, when you have a pregnant uh, woman come in and they have a medical issue and you want to give them medication, the first thing is, no, I don't want to take anything, doctor, because I'm worried about my uh, baby. Um, and it's a very, as you know, thalidomide is a long track history of, you know, concern with regard to um, harm to the fetus. And um, now we've got this bizarre situation where the um, the vaccine has been licensed for up to, uh, as you say, six month old um, children and onwards. And I don't think that as a parent, I have not seen enough data. You know, I've not seen any double blind placebo controlled trials in this setting that actually you know, would, would justify that. Secondly, you know, I think the risk uh, to a, a healthy young child, you know, is 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 so low that I would not want my child, and we, my wife and I have discussed this at length. We do not want our children to be given this new technology um, uh, vaccine. I want to thank you again for coming on, and I, I I really do mean this. We're we're not supposed to say these things, presenters. We're not, we're supposed to maintain some level of objectivity, but it is incredibly courageous. There's nothing in it for, for, for you guys, and, and you are doing it for, for people. It's obvious that you're doing it for people to give them a moment of pause, to let them know there is another opinion out there. So thanks for doing it. And I know there will be other doctors listening to this and nurses, and some of them have tried to raise the alarm as well. So, so just uh, thanks, Dean. You've been listening to Dr. Dean Patterson. Um, Dean is a consultant general physician cardiologist, 16 years, Guernsey, um, respected, uh, not a blot on his copybook. And he's been asking questions from the get-go about the non-pharmacological interventions into uh, COVID, the lockdowns, and now uh, they're calling for a suspension of the COVID jab uh, programme. If you want to say something briefly, finally, Dean, I'll give you 30 seconds, but I just want to say thank you and Merry Christmas to you and yours. Uh, thank you, Richie. Um, I would just like to say everyone needs to be positive. You need to have positive energy. I think we need to um, stop going down too many rabbit holes. We need to look to being open, non-confrontational, and we need to spread this message that we need to stop the insanity and we need to become whole again. We need to go back to our roots. And, um, you know, uh, the human race needs people who speak up for the truth. Dean, thank you so much. Dr. Dean Patterson, live on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is now four minutes past the hour. I'll be back with more in a moment. Maria Heller will be with me live from Arizona too. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, we all get them. By now, you've probably heard our advert for Immunex 365 about 50 times. And for those of you who went ahead and bought from us, I would like to say thank you. Hi there, this is Eamon, the founder of the business, and I'm delighted to be able to tell you that for 2023, we have managed to reduce the price of Immunex 365, and finally, it is also available in Ireland. Also in the new year, we'll be adding new products and the long-awaited newsletter for both subscribers and customers. As a startup business, the support from The Richie Allen Show and all its listeners has been incredible. And on behalf of myself and all those behind the scenes, I wish you a happy, peaceful Christmas and an exceptional new year. Thank you.
Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Thank you very much. Uh, Eamon, by the way, listen, there are lots of comments on the website, richieallen.co.uk, comment live, richieallen.co.uk, comment live. Uh, so engage with them. I'm a few minutes behind time. That was obviously important. Maria Heller is standing by. This is Blind Joe at blindjoe.com, his latest track. We said we'd give it a spin again because it's terrific. It's the truth on your Richie Allen Show Wednesday's programme. Yeah, music from Blind Joe. That's uh, the truth on the Richie Allen Show. Eight and a half minutes past the hour of six o'clock, Wednesday the 21st of December. Not far, not long to go now, eh? Sunday, Sunday. Sunday is beautiful. It's beautiful that Christmas Day is on Sunday because it means a lot of people will be off on Christmas Eve. You see, when Christmas Eve occurs during the week, it means a lot of people have to work the full day like my better half, but not this Christmas. She gets to spend Christmas Eve with me, looking forward to uh, the big day. Anywho, it's been quite a while since uh, my great friend Maria Heller was on this particular programme, and I mean a great friend. I've uh, known Maria since back in 2013, uh, 2014, when I went to, 2013 it was, uh, to London to make television programmes there, was introduced to Maria, and uh, we've been uh, fast friends ever since. Brilliant broadcaster and journalist has the oldest podcast on the net. It is an amazing archive of terrific interviews. Go to Maria, M-E-R-I-A dot net to find out more about her in the unlikely event that uh, you haven't heard of her. Let's welcome back to the programme the one and only, the blonde bombshell. It is Maria Heller. How you doing, Maria? I'm doing great, Richie. Thanks for having me back. Uh, give over. It's great to have you back. Let's jump straight into this cardiologists and doctors are coming out of the woodwork in the UK vastly experienced people and they're saying that the Covid jabs must be suspended now because of all of the injuries it's kind of unprecedented that we've had so many is that something to be hopeful about because I've looked at the data in the US and in the UK and it does look like that these uh, COVID mRNA jabs are doing a variety of damage to lots of people. So lots and lots of physicians coming out. Is that something to be optimistic about, do you think? Optimistic about the news finally coming out? I've been telling people about it since the beginning of the shots. Yeah. First of all, they're not vaccines. They're an experimental drug. Uh, and I recommend everybody read the book that is so blew me away. So I'm going to do a series of shows with the author. It's by Patricia Corey, and it's called Hacking the God Code. And she has a very interesting take on it, besides all the damage uh, facts and figures of the shot. uh, But she also has a very interesting take in that she says it's also meant uh, to separate us from our God self or our connection to all that is. Now, you're incredibly Uh, open-minded. I know this. And and I, and I know a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to spirituality and where we come from. Um, you, you're not tied down to anything. So it's very interesting that you're on top of this. Fantastic. So she reckons this woman, Patricia Corey, that they're going after our connection with the divine. Exactly. Basically just stealing human souls. You know, and uh, she she's not afraid to tell you that, you know, most of the world's leaders are not really human. 
Uh, and when you look at them, they don't really, you can always tell by a person's eyes. A lot of times their eyes are vacant. Uh, but this is a global push for depopulation, also control. You look at Elon Rusky, as I like to call him, and uh, Bill Gates, both of them working on Neuralinks, you know, implants for our brains. Uh, and of course, they say it's for altruistic reasons. If you're paralyzed, you might be able to talk again and all this. But you and I both know, because I've lived a long time, whenever new technology comes out, it's usually used against us. What can you, because some of our listeners will know this, others won't. You're right. They sell this by altruistic proclamations like we will teach this, we will be able to make this young girl walk again. This boy was born blind. We will be able to restore his sight. That all sounds lovely. What are the sorts of things that they might do with the Neuralink chip? What are the negative things? Well, the negative things are they could do anything they want. All chips can be hacked. All chips can be programmed and reprogrammed. So my sense is that it goes right to transhumanism, which is a topic I've covered on my show for 20 years. Uh, and to basically just make people lifeless, soulless, and just follow the corporate or the government line. Uh, so people need to be very, 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 very cautious about getting any kind of chip put in their body, even the ones that are supposedly for your convenience to put you know, a chip in your hand so you don't need to use a credit card or this or that. Uh, this is all about transhumanism. Remember, these people want to reduce the Earth's population. Uh, and what's left over, they want to totally control. So it'll be like something out of Brave New World by Huxley. Get everybody into a virtual world. I'm told that the new Avatar James Cameron film, the sequel, I haven't seen it, but then I haven't seen the first one. I'm told that it's not the, the most plot-heavy film in the world. It's not much of a narrative going on, but that it is kind of depicting... It, it, it's kind of predictive programming. It's showing where things might end up. People living in virtual worlds and not moving very far from where they actually live in reality. You see that too? Right. Well, listen, I, you know, years ago I interviewed an author on another excellent book called Operation Hollywood. And all of these programs are, think of the word program. They are to program us. And I have to tell you, I saw the first Avatar, you know, what was that, 13 years ago? Yeah. And for whatever reason, I have no desire to see the new one. Right. And I, I remember somebody, a mutual friend of ours some years ago, he said, um, the thing about these virtual worlds is, we're already in, in the state we exist right now. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm speaking to my friend Maria Heller, who's in Arizona. As far as I'm concerned, I'm conscious. But our mutual pal, and he's not alone, there are many others who came before him, they believe that, that, that we are beings of energy and light and that the, what we see around us is a simulation. So we are already one step removed from reality. And going into other virtual reality dimensions or situations can do nothing but harm to, to us spiritually. Does that make sense to you? Well, some of it makes sense. I mean, you have to realize that we live in a multi-dimensional universe. Uh, you know, I like to call it, you know, the spaces in between things, which is another book that 
uh, I do a regular series uh, with with Michael Rakia, and I know you've had Michael on your show. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, and the book is basically, you know, unseen things that affect our lives. You know, what's going on in the spaces in between things. And of course, the first Matrix movie made it very clear that this is an illusion. Einstein said that this was an illusion, albeit a persistent one. Uh, and now you have a lot of scientists who are also starting to confirm all of these facts that, you know, people said we were all crazy when we talked about it. Yeah. Uh, so this is like one big video game and we're the losers. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I Everybody laughs when I say NASA. I understand that NASA has been telling people lies for uh, for many years. But there is a lovely guy working there called Rich Terrell. And he's not in the business of telling lies. He's, he's a researcher. He discovered a couple of moons on Saturn mm. many years ago. And he said to me some years ago that they, 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 they're, they're able now to recognise the symmetry. They're able to recognise the mathematics in the digital construct. So there are guys now waking, I shouldn't say waking up, but they are more open-minded to the idea it's a simulation. Do you know who I've been speaking to lately? I've been speaking to one or two people and nice people. And they're certainly not, um, what would you call them? They're certainly not shills or distractors. They believe it. They totally believe it. I've been speaking to people who are absolutely convinced that the world is flat and that there's, uh. and that there's something beyond. Look, I don't buy into that at all. But, but, but like yourself, I'm, I'm happy to listen to people's opinions. But they say that there's something beyond the Antarctic and that, and that various authorities over the, the centuries have prevented mankind travelling beyond the Antarctic, I think, or is it the Arctic? I think it's the Antarctic, because there's something beyond that that might be good for us or might give us a clue as to who we are, but they don't want us going there. I know you've heard all of these things. What do you think? What do you make of that? Well, my sense with the Antarctic is that there's a lot of government installations there that they don't want us to know about. Right. Uh, you know, then you have some people who posit that there might be uh, underground stations there, underground life. People living in the Middle Earth. Uh, you know, I think about that parliamentarian from Canada who exposed many years ago, and God, he was an old guy, uh, that he was in the underground tunnels and saw a lot of the experiments going on, a lot of the hybrid, uh, half human, half God knows what. Uh, and the man was a respectable member of the Canadian Parliament. I, I forget his name, it was Paul something or other. Uh, so I don't doubt anything, okay? Just think about the earth as an onion, you know, layers and layers and layers of truth, but nobody wants to talk about it. And the people that do talk about it get ostracized. Fairly quickly. It's like, you know, how people got ostracized and banned on social media from posting anything other than the government narrative on covid and COVID-19 shots. And even experienced journalists like yourself, you would admit to being shocked. I mean, there's very little that could shock you. But when you see men and women with academic credentials that are impressive, at least in their world anyway, uh, 20, mm. 30 years of experience, and they gently tweeted in 2020, and gently put messages on Facebook saying, that the lockdowns are dangerous and all of that, and they were disappeared quicker than you can say, hey-ho. That even right. shocked you, didn't it? 
Absolutely. I mean, the lockdowns destroyed this country, destroyed the world, uh, destroyed the world economy, destroyed the mental sanity uh, of most people. You know, here in the United States now, we have an epidemic of children suffering anxiety and PTSD. Uh, so, you know, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And, you know, I saw a post, uh, obviously a, a government post this week, uh, that the new COVID booster, you know, every pregnant woman should take that shot. Good God. Well, what is that going to do to their children? Did they forget about when they said thalidomide was safe for pregnant women? Uh, so these people you have to get, they're not human. They don't really care about you. They don't care about your health. They don't care about your life. And if you're a person that rejects the system and says no, then they either disappear you or ostracize you or or worse. Or worse. Let's let's stay with the not human because I have to do this. First of all, because you're a great friend. And second of all, there will be listeners listening to this and they'll say, I give over, Maria. If you chopped one of these people in half, you'll see the kidneys and the spleen and the heart. What do you mean by they're not human? Is it on an emotional well, level? They, listen, to be a human, you have to have a soul inside your body. That supposedly is the biggest prize in the universe for these creatures and aliens, whatever you want to call them, uh, is that they don't have a soul. So, you know, perfect example, look at your world leaders, all right? They have no sense of humanity. They have no compassion. They have no empathy. They don't know what love is. Uh, to me, they all lack any real uh, characteristics of a human being, what makes us human. Uh, so people can believe it or not, but most people, and I'm sure some of your listeners, follow religions. And religions, and especially the Bible, makes it very clear that demons and devils exist. Uh, so I don't really think it goes against anybody's religion because, you know, I choose not to believe that, you know, you either have two choices when you die to go to heaven or go to hell. Uh, I don't think that, you know, that's another religion, of course, another man-made construct for control. Uh, and this is partially why, you know, I don't celebrate any holidays. I do not want to give the opposing dark forces uh, anything to track me or be in my home or be represented in my home or, you know, just bring that energy into my house. I just refuse to do it. But 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 you do spend time with the daughters and the family and you do have that family time around Thanksgiving, around Christmas, I'm guessing. Well, if we, listen, I spend time with my family all the time. We right. don't need an occasion to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my grandchildren are grown. I mean, they're in their 20s already. Uh, so, and they understand me. They understand my position on these things, and they've accepted it. You know, I'm not going to be a part of feeding the reptilian agenda. Uh, you know, uh, I had a guest years ago. I kept it in the archives because I think it's that strong an interview. Uh, he is also a guy from the UK. His name is Matthew Deleuze. I don't know if you ever heard of him. No, but I'm fascinated. -E Go on. D-E-L-O-O-Z-E. -E. And he wrote one of the most amazing books on the reptilian agenda. And what's going on here and how the reptilians feed off large crowds. They feed off these holidays. Uh, and, and when I mean feed, 
we're talking about feeding off your soul. Uh, now, people can believe it or not. That's their free choice. You can get the shot or not. That's your free choice. Yeah. But, you know, my father told me I was born a free moral agent and I will make my own decisions until the day I die. Absolutely right. On that, they feed off of people. I, I think Maria will speak for herself, of course. Um, like Maria, I've heard over the years from many people who believe that um, we look outward, we look out to the heavens for extraterrestrial or non-human entities. But in fact, we should be thinking about interdimensional as well. And we've heard from people over the years who believe that we are under attack at times or at all times from interdimensional species. Uh, one being a reptilian species. There, a lot of people, when I mention this to people... Oh, there's many species. Many, Why yeah. limit it to them? And when I mention this but to people, you know, they laugh out loud. Most people laugh out loud. They say, you don't believe that, do you, Richie? No, hang on, let me finish. Because, and I always answer, I always say the truth. I say, I have no idea. But the people who have mentioned it, they're not stark, raving mad. They're, you know, pretty clever people. This is what they've come to believe. But my question for you was, I will have a few days off over the Christmas. I will be relaxed. I will be happy. Some of our friends would say, and, and a friend of mine, Mark Boyerski, would say that my energy will be good, that I will be in a kind of a high vibrational state because it's Christmas and I'm happy to spend time with my, with my, with my partner and with my friends. Why would I be prey for some entity when I'm in a good frame of mind? Because you're still part of the program. You're buying into the program. You know, people, uh, a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of you, a lot of your listeners have read Carlos Castaneda. And Castaneda's last book, which was called The Art of Dreaming, also talks about the creatures you meet when you're in your dream state that can physically drain you or kill you, basically. He calls them inorganic beings. And I can tell you, when I was reading that book, I read it so many years ago, Richie, probably 30 years ago. Uh, it terrified me. Right. Okay. I have a, I had a good friend who was a forensic psychologist and that's a big difference between a regular psychiatrist and, and whatnot. Uh, and he was, uh, in Tucson, his specialty, this guy was multi-gifted. His specialty was going with people in their session, going into their dream space and helping them escape these inorganic beings that they were having nightmares about for years. Uh, it's funny because when I asked him to do something similar for me, he says, you don't want to go there. That was his answer. Is that right? Uh, because I had a, uh, a, a, an experience. Listen, I like to consider myself a normal, reasonable, extremely logical person. After all, I am 50% Capricorn. Um, <laughs> But I've had some experiences that defy logic. And I remember I was with a business partner going to uh, Utah, which is, to me, Utah is one of the darkest energy spots in the United States of America. I felt it as soon as I flew in. I was like, oh, God, feels like the devil lives here. Any idea why? And you could just feel the energy. The yeah. energy, you know, every place on Earth has a different energy, a different vibrational field. That's why you can go on vacation and have a great time, or you could go on vacation somewhere else and have a lousy time because your personal energy does not coincide with that energy field. Uh, 
Uh, either way, we're driving to Utah from Arizona, which was, you know, a sizable trip. And all of a sudden, I looked out the window because it was dusk, and I saw a blue star skip across the horizon. And then I said, oh, a shooting star. And then I said, no, a shooting star doesn't skip across the horizon. And then I, I guess I passed out somehow. I wasn't driving. The driver was driving, so she had pulled over to the side of the road. And when we both, you know, snapped out of it, I looked at her and she said, I have a slamming headache. I says, I have a slamming headache too. She said to me, did you see that blue light? And I said, yes, I did. And then I looked at the clock and we had lost one hour. We did not know where we were. I looked at the mile post. And it was a milepost we had passed at least 25 miles ago. Well, that's amazing. That's and when I looked at all the instruments, it was a rented car. When I looked at all the instruments, everything was set to zero. It was just like uh, close encounters mixed with contact. And then I had realized that we had lost all that time. And when I asked my friend, the forensic psychiatrist, I said, Brad, this is what happened to me when I was going to Utah. I think I'm losing my mind. I said, can you do a session with me and tell me what happened in that hour that we lost. And he said, I could, but I can tell you nothing good happened. And I'd rather you don't even go there. And, so I never did. And this was, but, I mean, I've had experiences, you know, Arizona, there's a lot of UFOs. You see a lot of UFOs in Arizona because there's a lot of dark sky here. Uh, and I've been out with friends, you know, where we look up at the sky and boom, there's a UFO shining a light down. And one of my friends looked and he said, oh, look, the moon. And I said, no, the moon is over there. I said, this is not the moon. Could some of so them... we beat the hell out of there as fast as we could. Yeah, that would that would certainly um, give me the, the willies as well. W w could some of them be, not all of them, but could some of them be put down to sexy new military hardware because I imagine that they've got anti-gravitational craft, Maria. Uh, look, I could be oh, wrong. Yeah, of course, of course, but they could never explain the Phoenix Lights and I had interviewed people that witnessed the Phoenix Lights yeah, on my show remind, years ago. Remind our listeners about that. Go on, the Phoenix Lights. That was an well, amazing... Well, the Phoenix Lights was this huge black triangular ship there's no other explaining it. It had some running lights along the bottom, you know, in our terms. And it slowly flew over uh, certain parts of northern Arizona. Thousands of people saw it. Uh, and I had uh, one Native American who had witnessed it on my show. And, you know, Native Americans are not, um, how could we say, they're not alien to the fact that aliens exist. Okay, because I've met and worked with some Native Americans here since, you know, I've been in Arizona 30 plus, uh, who tell me that they have these super tall alien-like beings that are at the base of their uh, property. So when they enter and leave, those beings are just there. They don't exchange anything with them, but they're very used to it. They're almost like Yeti-like but you know, not as not yeah. not as much looking like Chewbacca. Uh, but they learn to coexist uh, with them. But then you know, Native Americans, you know, uh, their rituals tie them very closely into the spirit world. 
That is so people can believe well, like I said, people can believe whatever they want. Then when people say, Oh, you'll you'll believe it when you see it. No. If you don't believe it, you won't see it. That means you're not vibrating high enough to see the ships. You're not vibrating high enough to see, you know, whatever, the Yeti, the aliens, whatever. Because, you know, in American history, when the Native Americans uh, were invaded by uh, the ships that came in from, sorry to say, UK, uh, they did not see the ships. As big as those ships were, they didn't see them because they did not exist in their reality. That's, yeah, yeah, you told me this so before. So if something doesn't exist in your reality, you're not going to be tuned into seeing it. Listen, I could have thought of a million better things than to get abducted for over an hour on the road to Utah because up until then, I didn't believe in this crap either. Okay. And you know. Or when you, it happens to you, I can yeah. tell you, you're going to pay some serious attention. And you know, I mean, you knew when this happened and when you spoke with the forensic psychiatrist, you know that to mention this is to invite ridicule, isn't it? You know this. I mean, do you think I care? No, look, I, I, I know you couldn't most give a rat's ass. I know that. Are so, most people on this planet are so asleep and they're so overworked and they're so busy just trying to survive. They don't have time to have these kind of discussions. They don't have time to talk about politics. No. And it's all done deliberately to keep people on that, that hamster wheel so that they can't get in touch with uh, their right brain, so that they can't listen to their other brains, their heart and their gut. Uh, they're just too busy trying to survive. And I feel bad for them. I remember some years ago, I was in Spain and... Um, I interviewed Whitley Stryber and uh, he wrote the I, book Communion. You've interviewed him as well. I, and, and, and he was in Spain and uh, he was sitting across from me in this uh, big studio. And I I was a hardened sceptic then. I'm still sceptical of things, but I was pretty ruthless then as a presenter, you know, jumping in, yeah, interrupting. I, I'm not buying any of this. But I was absolutely convinced that Whitley Stryber believed everything he said to me. As I am convinced that the experience you had, you are convinced of its authenticity. And that's all that matters to me. You know, and I knew... Well, it was hardly one experience. No, Richie, no, of course, no, but that... Yeah. since I was a kid. But the one on the road, which is just an amazing thing to happen to... To anybody. Oh, it got really. I actually, I was married at the time, and when we finally got to our hotel, I had to call my husband, and I told him what happened. Who knows what he was thinking? Yeah. But I said, "Listen, I just want you to know because if it happens on the way back, I may never come home." Uh, and, and then my my business partner and I was sharing a room, and she said it was the weirdest thing because we traveled so much together. She, I knew how she slept in her bed. I, she knew how I sleep because I'm a side sleeper. She said, I turned over in the middle of the night and you were sleeping flat on your back with your arms crossed on top of your chest and you were speaking a foreign language. I mean, that was terrifying. The whole trip was terrifying. There's no other way to say it. You know, I went down to uh, Chichen Itza to the pyramids in Chichen Itza. And while I was sitting out on one of the patios at the hotel with a bunch of my friends, some being jumped into one of the girls sitting at the table and started speaking in some foreign sound like Aztec language. 
And everybody at the table, myself included, were freaked out. Absolutely. Her husband was freaked out. He's like, what's happening to my wife? I'd be gone. What's taking over my wife? None of us could make sense out of what she was saying. So I just looked at her and I said, listen, we're friends. We're not here to hurt you. But you need to bring Angelina back. And then it just left. And the woman that it was inside of, she looked at all of us and said, why are you all staring at me? She wasn't even aware of what had happened. And we were about eight people around that table. Yeah, it's not, it, it isn't one person's observation. It's eight people seeing the same thing. Yeah, it's freaky that. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. Uh, I, was in, I was in a room many years ago with some goofy teenagers, 16, 17, and they got a, a Ouija board and they messed around with that. And they, they did the usual thing where one of them is moving the little, I don't know what you call it, the thing in the middle, the pointer. Planchet. Well done, the planchet. the planchet. The big brain on Heller over there in Arizona. That's right, the planchet. <laughs> so one of them is moving it around, right? So this is obviously, but then they stopped fooling around and I don't know what happened, but they were pretty scared after a few minutes. Um, well, and they should be because that's the lowest, the lowest form of energy forms attached to a Ouija board. And they sell these things. You know, you can buy start these. off being very pleasant and, and entertaining. And the next thing you know, they're telling you to go stab your neighbor. Uh, so I don't recommend anybody use a Ouija board. Yeah, and you can buy... I, I, I see one of these in a shop window recently, not in Manchester. I think it was in either Wales or, Cor or, 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 or the Lake District. An actual, you know, genuine bona fide Ouija board. And, and I thought back to my mates and then I thought back to interviews I've done with people over the years and, and, a, and a lovely priest called Father Vince Lampert is a Catholic priest in New York. He's America's only uh, certified exorcist, a, a real gentleman, uh, Maria. And he said the same thing as you. He said, you have no business going near a Ouija board. Stay the hell away from that. In so many words. Yeah. Listen, I've seen a lot of possessed people even when I was on a cruise for pleasure, so I'll never do another cruise again, <laughs> where this woman was like totally freaking out, possessed. I'm in the nightclub, you know, banging back a few drinks, listening to the comedian. And her friends drag her over to me. I mean, she was like Linda Blair. The only thing that wasn't happening is, you know, the pea soup wasn't coming out of her mouth. <laughs> And they bring her to me. And I said, what do you want me to do? They said, she's obviously got some kind of deem. We were actually right near the Bermuda Triangle. And they said, something jumped in her. This woman's freaking out. You know, can you get, can you do anything? And I'm like, man, I'm just sitting here trying to relax and enjoy a drink. You know what I mean? Uh, but it was evident that this woman was possessed by something. Who the hell knows? And then the, the boat broke down in the Bermuda Triangle. And I can't even tell you the strangeness that happened at that point, Richie. So, you know, when my friends say, let's go on a cruise, I said, I wouldn't go on a cruise again if you paid me $10 million. Once was enough. Well, I, it's funny. I asked the priest the obvious journalistic question, which is, how do you know, Vince, that the person isn't just having crazy fits and they're not having some sort of mental health episode? And his answer was so straight it was so soft, it was so matter-of-fact, it was chilling. He said, Richie, this is a Catholic priest. He said, Richie, when a demon is talking to you and telling you what it's going to do to you and to your family and it's naming people, this, this child, he, he, he dealt with a case years ago where a child was telling him things about his own family 
like graphically mm-hmm. screaming at him, like like things that nobody could know and telling him what it was going to do to him. He said, you know you're not dealing with some poor child who's having a psychotic episode because the the skeptics say right. the skeptics say that these are just mentally ill people and that they're being damaged by the exorcist. But uh, he said, no, I, I've seen these demons. I've seen the, the shape-shifting well, stuff, in, yeah. Yeah. In, young, in my younger years, I would travel the country uh, because I made the papers several times in Arizona for ghost-busting, for uh, blessing people's new businesses, whatnot. So I started getting calls from around the country for people that had very strange things happening on their property or to their bodies since they moved into a specific property. Uh, And that's something I used to do, okay? Uh, And at one point, it almost cost me my life because whatever it was just took a hold of my heart and started twisting it. And I was like, holy shit, what's happening here? Uh, So I don't do that anymore. Uh, to me, it's just not worth it. Okay, but there's a lot of people that have these experiences because their homes were built on Native American burial grounds, or Native American ritual grounds, or where a slaughter happened uh, against Native Americans. I've seen plenty of that. And what happens is it uh, the, the the horrendous energy, the awfulness of that 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 leaves what 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 do they call it? It leaves it leaves an imprint, does it? on the area of what, well, what's happened? It leaves, a, it leaves an imprint behind. Sometimes, most times it's trapped souls that, ref, that don't know they're dead uh, and, and they don't know how to get out of this particular illusion. Uh, and I've worked with many of those souls and helped them to cross over. Uh, and they show up for me wherever I am. I mean, I could be in a, I was in a restaurant in Hawaii and boom, there's one. I was in a restaurant in the mountains in, in, in Arizona. Boom, there's one standing by the table. And I'm like, I'm trying to have lunch here with my friend. Yeah. And what are you doing here? Well, I'm waiting for the train. I said, the train stopped coming through here 200 years ago. And I said, turn around and try to find a light and move towards it. Uh, the same thing happened when I went to a, a dinner with at least 20 women in Florida. In a, in a restaurant known for having a, a, a ghost in it. Uh, that's what they made their fortune on. And I just wanted dinner with, you know, all these women and enjoy it because it was after I had given a lecture. And there's this ghost. And she decided she was going to jump into one of the women at the table and just started telling her story. I mean, it was super freaky, uh, Richie. Uh, but... Before I left, even though I was tired and really didn't want to do it, I cleared her out of there. So I guess I'm in a way I ruined that restaurant's business. <laughs> you took the business uh, away from me. But, them. you know, when you when you come into this world and, and children today are coming in with no veil between them and the spirit world. Uh, when you come into this world with that kind of a gift, anything that doesn't belong here is going to look for you. They're going to try to talk to you. They're going to try to ask you for help or they're going to tell you to kill yourself. OK, look at how many people are committing suicide now. And have you heard I that before? Is that their idea or was that idea put into them by somebody else? And is that something you've experienced being told by by something else, by something other to to top yourself? Absolutely. When I was 17, I was alone in my apartment and the voice came through. 
and started telling me not only how to kill myself, but how to do it and to do it then. I ran out of that apartment faster than you could shake a stick. Okay, so it's terrifying to be a person that can see between worlds, but at the same time, it helps me help my clients, uh, people that are also having these experiences, because I don't put anybody down when I have a session with them. I listen. And people have always asked me the same question they asked that priest. How do you know if this person is having a spiritual experience or a psychotic break? Yeah. The only way you can tell is your intuition. You know, for me, it's very easy to see through people. It's always been that way. Um, but I don't, it's, I, I make sure it's not always on because I would be, I would go mad. Okay. So, um, but I don't poo-poo anything, and I don't put absolutely nothing behind the demons that run this world. I, you I, know, I, I, yeah, I admire that. I admire what you said about not um, dismissing. I don't dismiss anything either. I, 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 I used to, but these days I, I enjoy conversations like this. I think everything is possible. I'm looking at the clock. I wanted to ask you a question. I'm sorry if I cut across you, but if I don't ask this question, we'll run out of time. You interviewed the Warrens, didn't you, Ed and Lorraine? I think you did. Ed, Ed and Lorraine so. Warren. Did you not know those? Um, they became very well known in the seventies and eighties uh, at dealing with possessions. They, they've made some Hollywood. No. They've made some Hollywood I, films. I never, I never did interview ah, it's, a sh- it's a shame. They've. They've. Um, there. There have been some big Hollywood films about them. One of them was called The Conjuring. I spoke to them briefly. I never interviewed them. Um, about ten, twelve years ago. I don't know if they're both still alive or if, or if one of the couple has passed on, but one of them was very sick. I nearly came to interview them many years ago and I was really looking forward to doing it because I believe the Warrens to be sincere people, uh, you know, in terms of what they were encountering. And they were going to mm. possessions and uh, houses that were possessed and, and uh, you know, personal possessions and stuff like that. Um, the films are very good. They're very well-made films. I, I just thought for for a minute that maybe you had spoken to them over the years because you've spoken Listen, to, Richie, everybody. The house spoken to everybody I, the house I grew up in on Henry Street in New York in Brooklyn uh, was a three story brownstone owned by my grandparents my grandparents lived on the top floor we lived in the middle floor we were a family of seven my father, my mother and their five daughters we lived right beneath my grandmother's apartment uh, and one night my grandmother committed suicide and for the next several weeks, seven of us slept with the lights on in the apartment, all four of us kids jammed in the same bed with my mother and father while my father read openly from the Bible because every night we heard a reenactment of what went on in that apartment the night she committed suicide. God almighty. We heard the footsteps running. We heard the whole thing. We were terrified. I was terrified to even walk into the building after school and look up. And you all so, heard this, not just you. Everybody could hear this. We, all seven of us. You could and all hear. And my father at the time was Jehovah's Witness. And, you know, that's why, you know, he was reading from the Bible. You know, then he... You know, some of his friends took some of us in. Some of my sisters went to one of our other friends to stay for a while. 
we couldn't get out of that building fast enough. And it took three years for anybody to rent an apartment to my dad because he had five kids. Nobody wanted to rent to somebody with five kids. So we grew up terrified when my mother had to look out the window and watch us come up the steps. That's how terrified we were. So no one can tell me I was 11 years old, Richie. That was the end of my childhood. Uh, no one can tell me that this stuff doesn't exist. And you know, as an adult, when I went to New York on a visit with my sisters, they wanted to go into the old building and see our old you know, apartment. And yeah, I yeah. said, there's no way, absolutely no way. I was like 38 years old. I said, there's no way I'm going into that building. It sounds like you're still shaken by this today. I can hear it in your I voice. I am. It just freaks me out. I mean, it was terrible. And who knows? You know, my grandmother, was, she grew up in Sicily. And she used to tell us stories about this little white devil that used to follow her around, even when she used to go to wash clothes on the rocks like they did, and try to tell her to kill herself. And then she, we had a fire in the building when we were all living there together. And she started to come out of her apartment. But when she looked over where the uh, ladder was to go up to the roof, she said she saw that same white devil that she saw as a girl in Sicily. And she fainted right on the floor. I'm and, so glad I never had an course, experience like the that. The suicide followed and then the reenactment every single night. So you think... Well, I'm not asking you, or I should say, I'm not telling you. Do you think then that she was marked then from, from an early age, that she was... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My grandmother was very gifted. You know, out of all her children and grandchildren, I got the gift. So I know I've been followed and marked, except they didn't count on me being stronger than they are. I know what my soul is, and it's pretty damn powerful. But I can tell you at the same time, growing up as these experiences were happening, Richie, they terrified me. I'm yeah. no longer terrified by things that go bump in the night. No, they, it would terrify me, to be honest. Yeah. You, trust me. You want to spin scared shitless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt so, about you know, it. People yeah. can say what they want. They can believe what they want. But until it happens to you. You know, you're not going to, you're just not going to get it because it's, it's too much. It goes beyond what the human mind can, con can conjure up because, you know, their programming, you know, your school programming, your religious programming, it, it creates your mind. So your mind is closed. Like when we were Jehovah's Witnesses, they made it very clear that we were not to look at any other religious books or any other religions. So the indoctrination is deep. We've got and to be, you know, you have to be a very powerful person to break out of this matrix and really see clearly what's going on here. Well, this is a good place to end it because we've got three minutes left today. You're listening to Maria Heller, <laughs> M-E-R-I-A dot net. Uh, an amazing archive, 20 talk. years. What Most, a talk to have on my birthday. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, happy birthday. That's right, Joe. Oh, good God. For, forgive me for, for, for forgetting that what at the very outset. Day. Did you happy me to birthday on the winter solstice? no i on the solstice i wrote exactly the irony i wrote i made a note of this i should have said it yes it's maria's birthday today happy birthday our kid as they say Thanks, in these maria. parts you're very welcome so here's a good place to end on then on this theme is there mounting evidence that there is a spirit people keep telling me that there is a spiritual energetic awakening happening at the moment 
is there in the three minutes we have left? And if so, is that going to play a part in, you know, a dawning realisation for people that we're in a pretty difficult spot at the moment? Is there a spiritual, energetic reawakening? Yes, there really is. But I notice it's more in young people. Uh, old people, I think their minds are too locked in to this reality. But people 30 and under, the people I talk to are sincerely fabulous, well, very gifted, very powerful. They do have a chance of turning this around. I do not believe the majority will. That's interesting. So we only need 1%, they say, to change the world. So let's hope we got that 1% on the planet. And if they need a teacher, I'm here for them. Been through it, been there, done that. Uh, fantastic. It's meria.net. 20 years of archives and, of course, daily interviews and shows. Uh, the Maria Heller Show. Um, I won't say Happy Christmas, you old Grinch over there in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I just look at it that the world is celebrating my birth. Fantastic. Well, look, enjoy the rest of your day uh, and your birthday. Thanks so and thanks for coming back on. We, we will, of course, be speaking early in the new Absolutely. year. Uh, you'll be back here before I uh, speak with you in, in February. I have no doubt. So uh, that's been a mind-blowing hour. I, I really enjoyed that. Thanks so much, Maria. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Thanks, Richie. And mind yourself. Bye for now. The brilliant Maria Heller. Maria, M-E-R-I-A dot net. Check her out. Subscribe to her. The archive is amazing. Brilliant stuff. And happy birthday to her. Six and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Wednesday's programme. By the way, uh, tomorrow being Thursday and it being the last Richie Allen show of 2022, I'm throwing the entire show over to you. It'll be me and you tomorrow. Uh, usual phone number, the usual Skype address, you and me tomorrow. I can't wait. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, we all get them. By now, you've probably heard our advert for Immunex 365 about 50 times. And for those of you who went ahead and bought from us, I would like to say thank you. Hi there, this is Eamon, the founder of the business, and I'm delighted to be able to tell you that for 2023, we have managed to reduce the price of Immunex 365 and finally, it is also available in Ireland. Also in the new year, we'll be adding new products and the long-awaited newsletter for both subscribers and customers. As a startup business, the support from The Richie Allen Show and all its listeners has been incredible. And on behalf of myself and all those behind the scenes, I wish you a happy, peaceful Christmas and an exceptional new year. Thank you. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Right to you then. Um, nearly done for today. Just a quick reminder, you and I will be speaking tomorrow on the phone-in show. Shall I give you the, uh, shall I play the jingle for the crack? Here's the jingle for the crack. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Yeah, but not now. Tomorrow, Thursday, the final Richie Allen show of 2022. Yes, but I will be with you on Sunday morning. That's Christmas Day, the 25th of December. Christmas Day. For, for for Christmas morning melodies. Yes, that's right. Between 10 and noon. So if you are at home, 
with your family. You might not be. You might be visiting somebody and you might be in somebody else's house. But if you're at home and you can drop in on me sometime on Christmas morning, do so between 10 and noon. That's UK time. I look forward to uh, your company. I love Christmas morning melodies. And this one will be the third one. Let's hope the third of many. The third. Got to say third uh, correctly. Let me thank Dr. Dean Patterson for coming on in the first hour, the cardiologist in Guernsey, to talk about the dangers of the mRNA COVID jabs and why he and many other physicians and doctors and, and, and consultants are calling for a suspension of the COVID jab programme. Thank you, Dr. Dean Patterson. And once again, thanks to, to our friend Maria Heller. I had no idea where that conversation was going, but I'm glad it went in that direction. That was extremely, incredibly interesting for me. Look after yourselves and one another. Until tomorrow, Thursday, it's bye from me, the BBG. Bye. <laughs>